A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast with me, Sam Adderface, from TalkSport and TalkSport football correspondent, it's Alex Crook. Scott Minto is here, the former Benfica, Chelsea and West Ham and Charlton left back. And coming up today, we'll take you behind the scenes at Old Trafford after that marvellous win over Barcelona for Manchester United. We've got a big preview to the Carabao Cup. Can Newcastle United win the competition despite not having Nick Pope in goal? Chelsea try not to lose at Spurs. Be good if they could just score a goal. Leeds take on Southampton with Grazia in or out of the dugout. We'll get through it all on the game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello, dear listener. Uh, welcome along. Crook is in the um, game day podcast bunker again today. You're okay? Are you feeling okay? If you could just turn the volume down a little bit. Uh, that would unfortunately, help. Scott, just before we walk down the stairs into the, uh, in, into the, uh, the basement studio, uh, Crook said to me, have you got any paracetamol? <laughs> and the reason for that was is that we were both at Old Trafford last night. I was working on the game, Manchester United, victors over Barcelona, very good performance. Uh, you weren't working, were you? I was networking. Networking, yes, you were. Uh, networking uh, so much that you managed to somehow get yourself a freebie ticket to the director's lounge last night, didn't you? Very nice, very palatial surroundings. You made the most of it. A bit of star spotting, and I did make the most of the free yeah. bar, absolutely. When I, when I blagged my way in after the game, I managed to see you with two double gins in hand and chatting up a former guy from Westlife. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, Brian McFadden, what a guy. Yeah, a big United fan. <laughs> yeah. Did, were, you, Sam, was, was he the last one to leave? Were like the security men saying, look, Mr. Crook, can you go now, please? The lights are yeah. off. There's no we, one we, else. We, 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 we were both the last people in the lounge. Yeah. <laughs> we actually were. We, we actually were turfed out. We were the last people to leave. <laughs> Um, so we're there. We had a little chat with John O'Shea as well, didn't you? Yeah, during the game. Yeah, uh, we, we we shared uh, some tactical dialogue. Yeah. Uh, Gareth Southgate was sat a couple of seats well, away from me. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, I was sitting uh, in the press box, and it's literally about four or five rows away from where Crook was occupying space, and he was occupying a lot of space. <laughs> but at the start of the second half, when um, Fred scored the equaliser. You know, brilliant for Manchester United. A wonderful moment. Shinned it, as Dennis Irwin said to me. He, he may well have done that. But it was still a pivotal moment in the in the fixture. But some people in the director's box missed it. <laughs> and do you know why they missed it, Scott? Were they still drinking in the well, uh, inside? Well, actually, what happened was is that someone had still been drinking until about two minutes into the second half. And then that someone decided to oaf his way back into the director's box and stopped the England manager from seeing the goal. <laughs> it was scored by a Brazilian. It made no difference to his night. And most of the people behind him as well missed the goal because Crook was was ambling his way past, spilling his drink as he went down the touch, down the uh, the row of seats. Outrageous. Do you know Sir Clive Woodward made a big thing, didn't he, in one of his articles about fans who were sort of like stopping and then turning around and drinking during a game and 
and, and clearly Crookie is one of those people in football as well. And and look, yeah. you know, he's already a big guy, six foot four, 20 odd stone. I mean, he's probably an extra stone odd. now. <laughs> After those he's been working in the gym, Scott. He's, you know, those muscles are getting much, much bigger now. I, I, I didn't say you weren't full of 20 stone full of muscle, mate. You know, so you can, you can go down that route. But I would imagine there's a few prawn sandwiches and... Um, Half a bottle of uh, champagne still left in, in the inside of Mr. Crook today. Yeah. Um, the, the nice thing was, though, the, uh, the, and this is probably the key point, is is that after the game, the atmosphere was absolutely sensational uh, amongst everybody that was still around the ground. The, the fans were brilliant, I thought, mm. last night. The way they, they turned off the PA a quarter of an hour before the start of the game to allow the Manchester United fans to sing, and they did that, and they, they sort of bellowed their team to victory. And even when they were 1-0 down at half-time, as the players went down the tunnel, the fans in the strip for them were really getting behind them, same as they come out in the second half. Atmosphere was terrific. After the game, just everybody had massive smiles on their faces. And one of the key things I think that Eric Ten Hag has done is that he's transformed the atmosphere of the place. Mm. Not necessarily just because it's a, a, a place where Manchester United are winning football matches anymore, but actually Manchester United are an entertaining football team to watch. It's a good place to go and watch your football. It's, it's, it's fun and exciting to do so now. And it hasn't always been like that not in the last few years anyway and he's a sociable fella isn't he yeah absolutely you're right and actually our friend Brian McFadden was say, saying it's not always been the case in the director's box quite often after games people just head for the exit but everybody was hanging around last night having a drink celebrating the moment and of course Eric Ten Hag and Steve McLaren came and, and had a beer as well yeah and Eric Ten Hag has got a doppelganger oh crikey that's his son isn't it though is it well, we, we establish that we think it's his son but they dress and style themselves <laughs> exactly the same. A little bit oversized suit with a, with a roll neck. Is that right? Or yes. That and, and, and the polished head and the yeah. facial hair, almost exactly the same. It, it was is, freaky. It was absolutely unreal. And we did nickname it as well, didn't we? Because we had Eric Ten Hag and then we had Eric Five Hag. Oh, very good. <laughs> See what he's done there. <laughs> right. OK. I'll laugh at that one. Don't worry. Uh, Manchester United Barcelona then is over and all attention now turns to the big Carabao Cup final this weekend Newcastle looking to win at Wembley for the first time since 1955 I think it was uh, when they beat Manchester City 3-1 in an FA Cup final Uh, Jackie Milburn scored that day they last won a trophy in 1969 but can they beat this Manchester United team without Nick Pope? The Carabao Cup final will be Manchester United against Newcastle United and it will be live on TalkSport. I will give everything to perform as good as possible and to, to bring them hope, hopefully across limits. Brilliant finish from Marcus Rashford. He's come to the party. Manchester United have turned up the music. Oh, what a goal. 2-0, long staff. You go to Wembley, Newcastle United. We know 90 minutes ahead, anything can happen in football. We know how difficult the game's going to be. But the goalkeeper, Nick Pope, sent off. And of course, next weekend, it is the League Cup final. You cannot take your eyes off this for one moment. Live on Talk Sport, your home of live football. How are you feeling about Sunday? I was more confident about Sunday than last night. I, I thought last night was the, the tougher test for United. They've come through that brilliant in-game management again from Eric Ten Hag, making those decisive changes at half-time. I know Scott will tell us that maybe that's not rocket science, but where some managers will sit on their hands when it's not working out, they'll give the team 15 minutes in the second half. He doesn't do that. He, he knows what changes need to be made. 
I think United will win on Sunday. I think I, he'll pick the right team, and I think they'll, I think they'll win comfortably. I think that um, today, I think Sunday's game is a little bit more tricky than last night's game, in a sense, mainly because this is a huge occasion for both sets of fans. But Newcastle United, it's, it's a very rare occasion for them. I know that Manchester United haven't had too many trophy successes in recent years. When was the last one you won? Uh, 2017. Who scored the, the winning goals? Crikey, you're asking now, aren't you? Is that Europa League final? We'll come back to you. It was in Stockholm. And yeah. I was and he there calls that night. himself a fan. Yeah, I know. But he's not really a fan, is he? He gets freebie tickets to the director's <laughs> yeah. box. What sort of fan does that? Um, Scott, I thought it would be trickier because of, of those reasons. What do you think? Do you, do you think Newcastle United will be significantly wounded by the absence of, of Nick Pope? No, I, I do. Um, and I would imagine from the moment that Nick Pope was sent off, Loris Karius would be would have been playing mind games with himself. I mean, we're assuming that he will play, and I think he should play, but he'll have had the whole week for this to build up. And I don't know him as a person, and if he's in any way not quite mentally at it right now, his mind would be playing tricks with him. So he needs to make sure going into the game that he's in a positive mindset. He needs to work on his mind more than anything else. That's Eddie Howe's major strength, though, right? He's going to get him in the right frame of mind. Well, he, he, he can only do what he can do, Eddie. How many hours a day do you spend with somebody? I mean, you two obviously spend 24 hours a day. I can see the way you're almost hugging each other at the moment. You're, you're very it's close. It's a small couple. sofa. <laughs> <laughs> it's big, just made to look small when Cricky sits on it. No, but um, I, 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 he's got to work on himself. It is a big blow. You know, Nick Pope, for me, is one of the best keepers in the Premier League. Um, let alone Newcastle's best goalkeeper. Um, but I think Bruno Guimaraes' comeback is is big. You know, what you want to try and do, the tactics for me from Eddie Howe is going to be fascinating to see whether they'll kind of sit back and obviously try and counter-attack when they possibly can. Does that help Loris Karius? If they have a high line, there's question marks going to be asked there. But look, it was a massive week for Manchester United. They've come through one. I think both were probably as equally as difficult as the other. They've come through one. And now they've got up against a side that will almost feel destiny is on their side because of it's been decades since they've won a trophy. And you just know that the Toon Army could have filled Wembley out on its own and probably times two. <laughs> so the atmosphere Absolutely. is going to be amazing. Um, I don't really know what's going to happen here, but my guess would be the way that United, unless they're not too tired, that United are in a better frame of mind, both physically and pl just playing-wise, as well as mentally after that Barcelona game. And I, I do fancy Man United to win this. Two things from there. First of all, did you notice Scott's perfect pronunciation of Bruno? So you, I did. You've got yeah. to get that right on Sunday. Could you teach me? What is it? Gimaraes. 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 That is I can imagine impressive. that I won't get any feedback on Twitter if I start commentating <laughs> with that sort of... What um, I would say, a slight little thing, if it's Portuguese, Portugal, it's Gimaraes. If it's Brazilian, Portuguese, it's Gimaraes. So you can say Gimaraes. And and that, that sounded like the same thing to me. And on that note, actually, when I arrived at uh, Stamford Bridge last weekend, I was told that Jao Felix wants to be known as Jao Felix. Yeah, I've heard that on. too. Yeah. Joao. Just, just Joao. another note. Joao. Joao. Um, and also what Scott's saying there about Date with Destiny, Toon Army, filling Wembley. I'm sure we said that in 98 and 99. They lost both those FA Cup finals as well. Yeah, well, this is a Carabao Cup final. It might be slightly different. Um, I thought that they played very well during the match with Liverpool last mm. week when they were down to 10 men. A disastrous start defensively, and that was their undoing. But actually, after that, they played probably the better, probably the better team before and after going 2-0 down. 
Um, so I think they're, they're going to be a tough nut to crack. They don't lose many football matches, Newcastle United. I wonder whether or not Newcastle fans would rather win this competition or finish in the top four. I'm going to suggest that they probably want to win the cup, right? Agreed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's been so long. Sorry, guys. No doubt about it. 100%. It's all about a trophy for Newcastle. They're two or three years ahead in terms of getting into the Champions League. You may find one. There's always an exception somewhere. I'd be very surprised if anybody finds two Newcastle fans to say they take top four over uh, over a trophy. Just on Newcastle, by the way, I was reading this week, Ryan Fraser is now training with the kids and has been told he doesn't have a future at St. James's Park. He randomly appeared on the bench when they went back to Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago. And I, I'm now convinced that Eddie Howe put him on the bench just so that he could be booed by the Bournemouth fans. <laughs> <laughs> Because they had a bit of a falling out when they were at Bournemouth, Eddie Howe and, and Ryan Fraser. And then they went dog walking. Do you remember this? They went dog walking and made up. Well, now they've obviously fallen out again. Yeah, and now they've fallen out again about something for whatever reason. I mean, does that really sort of suggest that maybe Ryan Fraser's a difficult character? He's a very complex character. I, I would say that. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's a shame, isn't it? Because he's a brilliant little footballer. He can be. Uh, he hasn't been for a long time. True, uh, but his combination that he had at one stage with Callum Wilson yeah. was particularly impressive. It was, yeah, Bournemouth. You wouldn't uh, have thought that they would try to replicate that at Newcastle United. Maybe that isn't going to happen. Um, what odds on Loris Carrius uh, being the Alan Hardacre trophy winner, the man of the match winner in the uh, in the final, and pulling off three penalty saves in a shootout? Of course, maybe he doesn't play, and they play Mark Gillespie instead. But um, I'd like it's a, I'd like there to be a little bit of a redemption story, even if Manchester United go on and win it or whatever. I'd just like him to have a good game. That's because you still feel guilty about making him cry I after that Champions League cry. final. You did. He, he made himself cry. He dropped a ball in the back of the net in the Champions League final. He, that's his own fault, not mine. I just asked him about it. You're such a brutal interviewer I, that you made a grown man cry. I did feel on bad national afterwards. radio. It was it was one of those moments where you sit there and you go. Oh, <laughs> I think I've struck a nerve. Did you feel bad about it? That's the question. Not really. I couldn't wait to get it out on the air. I ran downstairs, sent it back to Talk Sports, said, go, get that out. He hasn't spoke to anybody else. We were the only ones with any Loris Carrius quotes. Ruthless. Just the, that was the professionalism in me, though, kicking in Scott. I did afterwards and have subsequently felt well, you know, a bit of uh, sympathy for him. And I've, I've followed his career quite closely as a result of that because I thought, you know, it would be nice to sort of see him come back and, and succeed. He hasn't played a game for about 18 months. He didn't do particularly well in Turkey either, did he? He's had a tough time. He's had a tough time. A Since tough you time ruined at, his career. He had a tough time interview. at Union Berlin. I didn't ruin his career in an interview. He dropped the ball. Well, let's hope he drops the ball again this weekend. I don't think that anybody else is thinking that, apart from the Manchester United support. Even they. There's, there'll be some Manchester United supporters who, who want him to have a, have a good game and still win the title, uh, win the uh, cup. I th- uh, I right, think, okay, should we move? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think you need to have a, a good, long, hard look at yourself. If anyone says they want him to do a similar thing, um, yeah. unless you are a most Manchester United fan. Listen, Crookie's right about 98, 99, and, you know, I, I predicted... A, they didn't a, turn up for those two finals. No, and I, I predicted a United win here, but I would love to see, just from a human point of view, I can't remember, by the way, who won in 97, but anyway, um, from a human point of view, him having an absolute blinder and, and Newcastle winning it, because it's a wonderful story. What, the Carabao Cup in 1997? It wasn't you. Not the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup, as we were talking about oh, right. in 1999. Didn't Leicester won the Carabao Cup, didn't they? Because Middlesbrough got to both finals. Middlesbrough got to both finals. And lost and, and got lost, relegated. And then got to another final the next year 
against Chelsea again, and Chelsea won that one as well. There you go. 1998, Eddie Newton scored that day, didn't he? You won't remember because by that time you were swanning off to Portugal. I, I was sunning myself um, in Cascais on the beach and um, eating some prawns and, yeah, it was good fun, I have to say. There's his little Portuguese yeah, yeah. turn of phrase yeah, again. Look. Again, yeah, I noticed that. He's, 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 he's got the tongue for it, hasn't he? He'll fill out the I got it now. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love this final because it's the best in terms of lack of corporates, right? Um, there's more supporters than there are for the FA Cup final and the Champions League final and the World Cup final. This final, the Carabao Cup final, the EFL Cup final is one of those where you could get, basically get 48% Newcastle fans, 48% Manchester United fans, and the atmosphere is usually terrific. I'm looking forward to it. It's live on TalkSport. Uh, our coverage starts at 3. Kickoff, I think, is at uh, 4.30. It is 4.30. Is it 4.30? It is, yeah. Oof. So, why? It's a little bit close to the start of Dancing on Ice, isn't it? All right. I'm not doing Dancing on Ice this week. I decided to take it off to go to the Cup Final because I thought the Cup Final was the most prestigious event. What are you doing? Yeah, you stitched me up, yeah. <laughs> I'll be is there. it really 4.30? I thought it was 4 o'clock. Get your skates on, boy. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. 4.30 start for Manchester United against Newcastle. Live on TalkSport. The last 10 EFL Cup Finals have been pretty tight. Um, apart from maybe Manchester United, uh, Manchester City against Arsenal, which finished 3-0 in 2018, and Swansea-Bradford, which was 5-0 in 2013. There's usually just the odd goal, or maybe two, in it, and usually quite competitive right to the very end. Even Manchester United, when they last won this trophy against Southampton, uh, shared five goals with Southampton. I was and, there. Uh, so was I. I was commentating, and Ib- Ibrahimovic scored the winner which was uh, terrific. Uh, right, OK, let's move on from that because there's another big game on Sunday. Tottenham against Chelsea. Christian Stellini to remain in charge uh, because uh, Antonio Conte is still recovering in Italy. He's done well in his games so far. Unbeaten against Manchester City and West Ham. And the likelihood, Scott, is he'll probably end up unbeaten against Chelsea because Chelsea don't ever score any goals. Everton have scored more goals in the last uh, 14 than Chelsea have. Don't say that, Sam, honestly. They have. Come on, come on. Well, it's a true story. Yeah, I can only give you the facts. You're a Chelsea fan as well. But I know, but it's, I'm getting annoyed with it. I don't understand how you can think that it's acceptable. I know it, Todd Bowley texted uh, Jim White this week and said to him, stop talking about speculation about the possibility of uh, Chelsea uh, sacking Graham Potter. That ain't going to happen. But like, and I don't want it to happen. I've told you this before. But statistics are really bad. No, they are. They are. And, and it's, it is unacceptable. And obviously, I said around about this time last week that Southampton was the perfect game for Chelsea and obviously look what happened. It, 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 everyone knows it's unacceptable, Sam, but I'm really pleased that Todd Bowley's done that and, um, and he, you know, he's wanting to give time because we, we don't really know or we haven't really known until he sort of sends texts to, to Jim and others what they're thinking because we've talked about it before. The, the club, the fans have been programmed that you fall out of the top six, got no chance of top four. You, you're gone. And and Todd Bowley, I, I like everything he represents. I do. He's he's overspending, which he kind of has to do to make a statement. He's saying he wants this guy in and he's going to give him time. What well, you know, in theory, it's brilliant, but you can't keep on losing games. That that you know, Graham does have to find a way to win games, and this is not ideal. I mean, we we used to love playing Spurs when I was at Chelsea because we we kind of never lost, but still away from home, it was a difficult game, and you take a draw. I take a draw here, but. You know, the next three games for Chelsea are massive in terms of uh, Spurs, Leeds and, and, and Dortmund as well. So he has to pick a side that he think now is you know, at a full week's training. What's the best 11 and find a way to, to create chances? He can't go out there and stick the ball in the back of the net himself. But just as long as chances are being created, there's not, not, not much more he can do. 
Chelsea have scored three goals in their last nine matches. Uh, I doubt this is going to be a goal fest. How do you think this one will go? Well, the Aubameyang situation is really interesting because the noises coming out of his camp are that he is training well. There's no issue between him and the manager. So therefore, I think he's a little bit perplexed as to why he seems to be persona non grata, bearing in mind, as you say, that Chelsea is struggling in front of goal. So it's going to be fascinating to see if Aubameyang comes back into the setup. Obviously, former Arsenal player against Tottenham. There's a nice narrative there. Um, but I agree with you, Sam. I, I think the record, what, two, two wins in 14, is unacceptable for any club, let alone Chelsea. And, you know, this is a Chelsea that have spent big money. They've spent Abramovich-style money. And they're, more than that, really. and they're stuck in mid-table. So I think Graham Potter should be under huge pressure. And actually, I think he is under pressure, despite what's being said to, to, to people like, uh, like Jim White. Um, it was interesting that he made all those changes last uh, weekend against Southampton. And I understand that it's because he was told by the medical staff that some of those players were in the red zone. Mm. So he decided instead of like risking them, bearing in mind he probably knows that they're not going to get into the top four anyway, and the big game is the Dortmund game, he would rest them, be pragmatic about how he t- selected his team, and then go from there. That's okay. But why didn't he explain that afterwards? Well, he, to be fair, he did say to me, you know, we had to make changes after but that's Dortmund. not explaining in detail what I've just said to you. That, we waited two, three days for that to come out. And then we, there's a bit of a, more of an understanding of what was happening. Yeah, I agree with that. And actually, it was to do with a medical report, right? Yeah, well, certainly in the case of, of Reese James um, and arguably one or two others as well. But I think when you're struggling for wins, I think he just got to get his best 11 out there. Part of the problem is, does he know what his best 11 is? You know, was he made 67 changes, I think now, or maybe even more than that? Um, since he took charge at Stamford Bridge, more than any other manager. They need to stumble upon a settled side. I think the players uh, want a settled side. By all accounts, his training sessions are very good, but it's when it comes to a match day, I think some of the messages that are being put out are a little bit confusing for those players. Can I just say, you know, after the Salzburg game where he was lauded as an absolute tactical genius, he only made two changes to practically the same side and got hammered by Brighton. When you play away from home in Europe, it's not just the game itself, but it's the travelling, it's the lack of sleep, it's your body clock. So, you know, look, I, I think there's a balance to be had between looking at the red zone and actually saying, uh, Carl Ancelotti came out with a good uh, line, didn't he, not that long ago, saying the red zone suggests that they're, they're not right, and my eyes agree with that, they don't play. If the red zone suggests they are not right, but my eyes say they are, they play. You know, mm. it should be helping rather than making the decisions. But you've just had a very difficult game in Dortmund where it could have gone either way. You're 1-0 down. You know, you've got people like Reese James who have had injury problems. That team, Sam and Crookie, that team that he picked against Southampton should have been good enough to beat yes. the worst team in the division. I agree with you. And it's all about goals, isn't it? They are not scoring enough goals. Um, they are aiming to win four consecutive away league matches at Tottenham for the first time in their history. Uh, Tottenham's last league victory against uh, T- Chelsea was at Wembley in November 2018. But Chelsea have a 100% record in the Premier League at the new stadium. And Spurs have conceded more Premier League goals against Chelsea than they have against any other opponent. Uh, but maybe that is going to be reversed this weekend. Uh, Son scoring uh, last week coming off the bench, doing well. Maybe he could return to the starting eleven 
uh, this weekend, or maybe actually he's better coming off the bench, just keeping him on his toes. Uh, quick word on Fulham against Wolves, because that's Friday night and it's live on uh, Talk Sport. That kicks off our fr- uh, Premier League coverage for this weekend. A win for Fulham will move them level on points when Newcastle win fifth, and Newcastle not playing in the Premier League this weekend. They're currently on uh, four of the Champions League places. Marco Silva, um, you obviously slated him to death when he was at Everton, Watford and, and Fulham. You're coming round to his way of thinking now. Well, more importantly, I think bigger clubs are coming round to his way of thinking because I was well, actually... What have you heard? Well, I was actually told that if, if Chelsea did make a change, then Marco Silva possibly could come into the conversation. So uh, maybe one to keep an eye on. Listen, they've done brilliantly, Fulham. And I think uh, the mark of a manager is not necessarily what you do in the transfer market. I think they made some excellent signings. Paulinho won't be there for very long until he gets snapped up by a more elite side. But you look at Tim Ream, who I think we all felt was probably in that bracket of being too good for the championship, not good enough for the Premier League. He's been exceptional this season. Harrison Reed in midfield in tandem with Paulinho has also proved himself to be a very good Bobby Premier Bobby Decordova Reed has played really well. Yeah, he has. So, you know, these Brilliant. are players who've been, been there a long time, been on the journey, been that sort of yo-yo club between the Championship and the Premier League. But but fair play to Marco Silva. He's getting the best out of them. They were very lucky to win at Brighton last week. That was a, that was a, a one-nil battering in Brighton's favour. Wolves were poor at home to Bournemouth. So there's a lot of pressure on Wolves because he spent a lot of money, Lopetegui, and they still, for me, lack a goal threat. Yeah, yeah. what do you make of uh, the Black Country's Portuguese side, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember covering them earlier and, and thinking this is uh, just need a Ronaldo in the side and it would have been Portuguese national team. Um, <laughs> they even had a kit last season, didn't they? Yeah. Look, I, I think it was a big blow to lose to, to, to Bournemouth, especially after the back-to-back victories for them. I, I, there's a common theme here, isn't there, about a lot of teams not scoring enough goals. Yeah, they've failed to score in three of the last five. Absolutely, and, and they have had their problem. And despite the three against Liverpool, even after the three they scored against Liverpool, they were still the lowest scorers in the Premier League. So, <laughs> And look, most of their goals have come against Liverpool, haven't they, over the course yeah, of the season? <laughs> exactly. I think this is a fascinating game. I mean, I do. I, yeah, Fulham were battered last week and yet came away with a win. Um, if Mitchie Rich is back, I, I, I fancy them here. You know, it's all about sticking that round thing in, in the net and Mitrovic is the best out of the two clubs that they have. So if he plays, and I think the, how well organised they are, you mentioned about the number of players, I just threw in William there as well. He's almost at the form of, of, of when he was at Chelsea. Fulham are looking very, very strong. I still wouldn't fancy them for top four, but to even talk about them in the vicinity of is just incredible. Yeah, um, XG for Wolves is 22.9 so far this season. Um which is not very high at all, is it, when you think that uh, they uh, they struggle to put the ball in the back of the net and have done for a long time. Most of their games end up uh, without uh, both teams scoring, so it could be another win to nil for, for Fulham. Uh, what about Saturday night? Liverpool away at Crystal Palace. They're not going to have another bad night, are they? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. A huge second half performance from Real Madrid, but the inquest over Liverpool's defending continues once more. Liverpool 2, Real Madrid 5. And I said that a couple of times, a defeat is a defeat if you don't learn from it. Maybe he's believed, like so many supporters, that it's just a blip in the road. But it's not now. It's not. Robertson's delivery, headed in! There's no mistake this time for Darwin Nunez! Elise will stride forward and curl it left foot in! What a goal! Absolutely astonishing! I'm not calculating and I'm not thinking about the points that we have to take. I think it's important for us is to look at our performance. Well, Liverpool's sensational capitulation midweek took everybody by surprise. I think especially uh, Jurgen Klopp, but I don't think that we were too surprised about it. We mentioned it on the Monday uh, podcast this week that despite the fact that they'd, I think, kept three clean sheets in a row prior to um, Tuesday night, we thought that they would be undone. Their vulnerabilities would be exposed by a Real Madrid team, which were much more ruthless than anything they'd played up until that point. I mean, their, their, their clean sheets were against Everton. Newcastle. Yeah. And the worst team in front of go in the league? Go on. Chelsea. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, it, it was um, it was a harrowing night, wasn't it? Uh, biggest, was it biggest home European defeat for... for? Biggest home defeat in the Champions League ever, yeah. Yeah, which is uh, obviously not ideal preparation going into this Crystal Palace game. I mean, every time Liverpool fans think their team are back, they tend to throw in a performance like this. I think they're particularly vulnerable uh, away from home. We saw that against Wolves a few weeks ago. I wouldn't be surprised if Palace do get something here. Best tweet in uh, the the world from Tuesday night was Adi Oladipo (laughs) after uh, 15 minutes saying, Liverpool, stop doing this to me. I said, tell me, are we back back? (laughs) Celebrating this 2-0 advantage (laughs) against Real Madrid. Uh, I think he had to backtrack. Uh, by the time they got to 90 minutes. Never tweet mid-game is, is the is the rule. <laughs> I, I feel for Eddie. I feel for Eddie because that first 20 minutes was the best they had this season. And, um, <laughs> How long's a game? Well, absolutely. And, and that's wise words from, from the big man there as well. Never tweet mid-game. Uh, you know, you're sort of thinking, I watched the first 20 minutes, I thought, my goodness, they're playing against a, a Real Madrid under-18s or something that just can't handle the intensity. But the... The way that the, the, the wily Real Madrid players can come back, and and that's, I mean, that's like a knockout that actually could affect the boxer for the, you know, foreseeable future. 
So I'm doing the, I'm doing rest this of their career, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing this game for Talk Sport. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. And um and Is I'm, that cuz you get to sit alongside me? Am I with you, Crookie? Am I? You are. Oh, you are. Fuck. Sam's ditched us for a bit of Spanish action. A bit of La Liga. So it's, I'm it's... doing Madrid Dali, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. On Saturday. So I, I've been uh, catapulted into action at, at Selhurst Park. <laughs> Jurgen Klopp has won seven out of seven at Selhurst Park. They've scored 22 goals, Liverpool, in those seven games, conceded only what, six. What was that game where they uh, they absolutely blitzed them? Was it last Christmas or the Christmas before? Was it, eight? it was ridiculous, wasn't yeah. it? It was. It was. It was one of those where they won considerable. Uh, with a considerable total, they were they were superb, and, and Salah was fantastic in that game. They they tend to thrive at, at Selhurst Park, don't they? They're yeah. getting a look into Scott Minto's wardrobe there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can know. see in Scott Minto's wardrobe behind him, he's got a, a lovely little pink shirt there and a, a red duffel coat. Looks nice. Yeah, not not mine, but um, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would suit you. Mine's the uh, mine's the longer pink duffel coat. Yes. There's nothing, wrong with, pink, right there's down to the nothing wrong with pink. You, you, mate, you're preaching to the converted. I love a bit of pink, me. Fantastic. I'll have to go out and uh, buy one now, though. But no, I, I, on a serious level, I, I, it's going to be absolutely fascinating because that wasn't just a defeat to Real Madrid. And they're not just out of the tie, let alone only being halfway through. That was a battering. I mean, that, and, and I'm really interested to see one Klopp's uh, team selection. Does he stick with Trent Alexander-Arnold because he was appalling? Well, I've said for some time that he's one of our most talented players we've ever produced. And I'm talking the footballers, not just defenders. But he's not a defender. He cannot defend. And he needs a lot of protection, especially when the players around him are not playing well. He still doesn't have that defending mentality. And you look at someone like Gary Neville, who didn't have the ability that that, that Trent has and yet made him the best out of himself. And clearly you could see that he was on the training ground doing extra training one-on-ones. So you're saying he's not diligent enough? He's not doing the homework? Yeah, I, 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 he can't be. He can't be, Sam. You know, he can't be that much. I know he was a midfielder growing up. And I think some of his balls, you know, you look at the, the, um, the goal that Darwin Nunez scored at St. James's Park. Almost no other player apart from Kevin De Bruyne does Kieran Trippier start going out wide because no one else is hitting that 50-yard crossfield ball in the way right. that Trent can, but he didn't. But that extra half a yard going back meant that he couldn't come tuck round in the end. Trent is amazing on the ball, but defensively, and there's enough stuff out there, and it's not late. I've heard someone say, oh, it's lazy calling him a bad defender. It's so not. It's been going on for years. And, and also, here's a problem, right? He can't keep using it as an excuse that he was a midfielder beforehand and he hasn't had that sort of grounding because he should have made sure he had the grounding in order to continue to play in the position that he does, in the team that he does. Absolutely. you have to question Klopp as well, to a certain extent, because you look at Aaron Wambasaka, who's had the opposite problem. Very good one-on-one defender, not as good going forward as Trent Alexander-Arnold. Eric Ten Hag and his coaching staff have worked hard to improve that side of Wambasaka's game. So you have to question... Why haven't the Liverpool coaching staff been able to improve Alexander-Arnold as a defender? I, I, I just think you can't not play him because he's so good going forward and he's so good on the ball. If he's not doing the day-to-day one-to-one training and defender and getting that into him day by day, week by week, month by month, and it's not going to happen straight away, but he's old enough now to have done this and be at a stage where he can think defensively, even if it's not his natural instinct. What are you going to do in the very short term for this game or even go for the rest of the season? I think you either go a 4-2-3-1, so you have an extra defending midfielder, 
Or maybe you go three at the back and you put him and Andy Robertson as wing backs. So you've got that extra extra protection in behind, so he doesn't have to worry so much defensively. But then you either do... way, it is Klopp's responsibility to change it up at some point. He can't keep just keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting it to change. No, I... are you here? He's on his phone again. Oh, okay. He's on his phone no, again. On Sam, his phone again. Sam I, honestly, I could talk for hours about what my opinion on Liverpool, and I think they've just been incredible. But don't do it for too long because Crook just loses uh, his concentration, picks what? up his phone, and starts <laughs> flicking through TikTok. We, 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 I haven't uh, even got TikTok. Yeah, he probably has. He's going to get on it now. L- listen, and, and hopefully we even talk more about it on Saturday as well. He's got a big um, reset to do. You know, if he yeah. wants to do it, he's earned the right to do it. But he needs to work out, as we think we've said before, what style of play does he go first and foremost? Does he go for a Ruben Neves and therefore you're changing the whole style of what you've been used to? Or if you mm. want that high intensity, these players now, after only it being last season, being two games away from history, they just can't do it. Mentally yeah, and physically, they're a bit shot. They cannot do it. It's interesting it, to watch him try to rebuild it as it's going along, but he's going to have to be given the time to do so. And we had this and the of, money. Sort of brief discussion. Yeah, of course, exactly. That's another big issue. He isn't going to have the money that Chelsea have, have spent. Um, but they need to, to get investment, which is why they've, they, they've put out this share option to try and get more investment into uh, Liverpool. And, and something that we discussed last night, you know, Klopp's had six years of going north in terms of form and, and then playing very well there was always inevitably at some stage going to be a dip. Now, are you going to ditch that manager and go, oh, right, OK, well, we'll start again because they've had one dip in seven years? Or are you just going to trust in him, realise it's going to take a little bit of time and then move on? I said to you last night, Eric Ten Hag may well be doing brilliantly at the moment, but at some stage it will dip because it always does. Pip had a little dip. It does. In, then they have to start again and then rebuild and they keep going. The time for short-termism is over it's too expensive to acquire players. It's too expensive to pay out um, compensation fees to manager. It's too expensive to uh, to pay for backroom staff, for new sporting directors. You have to have a cohesive hierarchy at a football club if you want to be successful now. And I'm talking about manager, sporting director, coaches, etc., etc. Because long-term planning is the only way you're going to get value for money. We better move on because Leeds take on Southampton live on TalkSport 2 prior to Scott and Alex's superb commentary of Crystal Palace against Liverpool on Saturday night at 7.45, which is exclusive on TalkSport as well. So the Leeds-Southampton game, which is a brilliant game, by the way, and a massive six-pointer, um, is three o'clock on TalkSport 2. Is Javi Grazia going to be allowed to take charge because work permit issues are, are rearing up? They are. And actually, we're recording this podcast on Friday morning. Southampton have just announced Ruben Sellers uh, as their manager until the end of the season. He's managed to secure a, a work permit, despite the fact he hasn't managed too many games in top European leagues either. But yeah, as we sit here, Javi Grazia hasn't taken a training session, hasn't really been able to officially start work because of the work permit dilemma. And I think it would sum up Leeds' chaotic search for a Jesse Marsh replacement if he wasn't able to be in the dugout on Saturday and if he was watching from the stand. This is to do with post-Brexit immigration guidelines adopted by the Football Association. Home Office stipulate that any foreign manager coming into the Premier League and moving to the UK from abroad must meet certain criteria in order to be granted a governing body endorsement by the FA. Um, The restrictions only apply to managers moving from abroad, so those already working and living in this country to have no issue. But Grazi has obviously gone out of the country after leaving Watford and now wants to come back in. They've got to have a a pro-licence and they must be filling a vacancy at a managerless club. Um, he qualifies for that both 
through both of those. So it, it should be that once they go through the appeal process, he gets one. But it's, it might well be that after the weekend, Scott. Yeah, and it's a massive game, isn't it? Um, producer Jeremy is is already panicking after you know what happened last week, and I think it was very important for the club to try and get someone in. And I think you know I, I've talked about just make sure you get the right man in for the here and now. But I think Javi Gracia can, even though it's a you know what was the word flexible contract, I think he can do both. I think he can keep leads up, and I also think he can take leads further on as well. Uh, be interesting to see whether that happens or not, but. I tell you what, that's a massive game. And in terms of Southampton, great result for them last week. I just hope that if they lose the next three, that people don't turn around and say, "Oh well, why did they say already that he was, you know, he's got to the end of the season?" Because once you've nailed your your, your colours to the mast, then then that's it. He's the manager. Now. He wanted it, right? He wanted to be the manager. Oh wow, he wanted it big time, and uh, you know the players. Absolutely adore him, which is not always a good thing. I'm sure that actually Simon Jordan would say that should be a red flag. But I was down there this week speaking to Gavin Bazunu. He spoke in the highest possible terms. You're not at today's about press conference, sellers. though, are you? You were supposed to be at today's press conference for this game. I was. But what? You, you were on a freebie night out, so you didn't go? Where did so you go again, Crookie? Sorry, you didn't you, tell you, us. You, where did you, you go last you, night? You, you cajoled me into uh, believing that this was Manchester United's you, biggest you, game of the you, season. You, you, I you had, had to be there. You had to be convinced to go to Manchester United's biggest game of the season. Because obviously, I'm, you know, I had work commitments that I've he wasn't going to come. Reshuffle. I told him to pay for a ticket. He wasn't going to come until he got a freebie. Do you know that? That's um, a true story. Biggest game of the season. Biggest game of the until season. Until Sunday. Until Sunday. Yeah. And uh, again, I can't be there Sunday because I'm helping him out by filling his shoes and dancing on ice. Otherwise, you, he wouldn't have been that, able to do the are commentary. Are you not getting paid for that? He wouldn't have been able to do the commentary without me. Well, I, I <laughs> so. am going there as a freeloader. Um, I've been invited by a friend who's a Club Wembley member, member so I will be there. On uh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing you afterwards, and we can have a drink after the, t- in the bar and watch Dancing on Ice. Um, the fourth stipulation, by the way, is that an incoming manager must have managed a club in what the FA regards to be a top league for a cumulative total of at least 36 months or two years consecutively. Well, he was never going to do that at Watford, was he? Within the five-year period immediately <laughs> prior to his date of application, which is a bit of a problem because he's been uh, in the uh, Qatar Stars League for six months uh, and he was at Valencia for nine months and then Watford for 18 months. So, yes, he doesn't actually fulfil that criteria. He was in charge of Watford for 18 months. That's like being in charge of any other club for 20 years. <laughs> Absolutely. He did well there yeah. as well, to, yeah. to be fair. M- maybe better than people give him credit for, you know, it kept is. them up from a similar position, took them to the, the FA Cup final. And I think he lasted four games uh, the following season in true Watford style. But I spoke to Junior Furpo this week. He said this is their biggest game of the season. OK, Everton against uh, Villa. A chance for Sean Dyche to make it three wins from three at Goodison Park. Uh, do you think that's likely, Scott, bearing in mind what we saw from Aston Villa against Arsenal last week? Well, do you know what? Villa are a strange side. I still don't think they're anywhere near where Emery wants them to be. You know, and they've lost the last three, but I thought they were really good against Arsenal. I thought, you know, it, it was it was back and forth. And actually, He didn't. He didn't. What did he say? He said that they had regressed. Right. He said they were giving the ball away where they shouldn't be giving the ball away. And he told them how to pl- play the game and they didn't do it. So I... He was furious with it with that um, and that their lack of control in the match because he thought that when they got ahead twice, they should really see it out. And he was also absolutely livid about the fact that Emmy Martinez went up for the corner. Yeah, look, I mean, absolutely. I think his career's on the line, isn't it? <laughs> if he does that again. And I get what he's saying about um, you know, getting control of the game, but you're up against a side that 
were absolutely, they were like cornered rats. They were fighting for their lives. Arteta, to yeah. be fair to him, laid it on the line at half time and said, this is it, guys. This is it. This, this is it. You've got 45. This is your opportunity. Yeah. This, absolutely. And you're up against a side that are sitting top of the table for a reason. So I think that's slightly harsh. I think that's a guy who was disappointed to be up twice and end up losing the game. I, I think that particular game, I thought they did well. I, I think he might be talking even more generally as well about how they've been in the last few matches because they haven't been particularly great. I, I agree. I don't think they're a particularly good side, although Ollie Watkins has uh, scored four in four now and he's in a particularly good run of form and certainly he's reacted to Unai Emery's appointment. Uh, David Moyes' job is safe despite a, a run of one win in 11 games. They take on Forest this weekend. Would that heap more pressure on him because Forest are, are in good form and they're a belligerent bunch? Yeah, I don't think he can afford to lose at home to Forest. I think, uh, you know, David Sullivan's support for his manager may begin to wane if that happens. But the, the question is, and you, you look at Leeds and, and Southampton and, and their managerial searches, if West Ham do fire David Moyes, who comes in? I mean, Rafa Benitez is desperate uh, to get a job. Don't in the start linking Rafa Benitez <laughs> with another club. You get in trouble again. Um, so, you know, that would be the obvious answer. But. Under normal circumstances, if West Ham found themselves in a relegation scrap and they fired their manager, who would they turn to to get them out of it? Great question. I don't David know. Moyes. <laughs> so they they have the they have the firefighter there already. I've, I've said it before. I think for me, David Moyes needs to go back to basics. I think the signings they've made haven't worked out. Pakatar uh, was better for Brazil at the World Cup than he's ever been for West Ham. Skamaka has struggled to adapt as well. to develop into a good midfield player alongside Declan Rice. That seemed to work quite well for them with Rice as the holder, three at the back, and him just slightly further advanced and able to get box to box. That was working. Then he got a shoulder injury and he's been he's been suffering poor, He's been poor ever since. And Declan Rice hasn't been great. And you wonder, you know, how much of that is down to fatigue, having played pretty much every minute. And the fact that he's probably going to leave in the summer. Exactly. You know, is, is that weighing on his mind? I still think West Ham will be okay, but this is a, this is a massive game for them because Forrest, decent at home, terrible away. Yeah, remember people laughed at me when I said that they were going to be uh, well, safe. They're, they're not the safe league. yet. They're, they're not, not safe, safe yet. yet. And they have lost seven of uh, their last ten league, uh, the seven of their last ten league defeats have come on the road, which is not a particularly uh, good statistic going into an away game. They're awful to watch But as they well, do Forrest. have Morgan Gibbs-White. Good player. Good player, Morgan Gibbs-White, uh, who we like a lot. So let's turn our attention <laughs> to the title race now. Top two both in action on Saturday. Bournemouth against Manchester City, 5.30. And Leicester against Arsenal is 3 o'clock. Arsenal could be seven points clear of City by the time their match with Bournemouth kicks off with a win at Leicester. You'd expect them to beat Leicester, who uh, crumble like a sandcastle in a storm, don't they? I mean, they are literally uh, the, the team that start brilliantly and then as soon as they suffer a setback, just melt away. I don't know. You know, was it the Spurs game where they, they, they came back and and won and played really well. I, I, you just don't know what you're going to get with Leicester. You know, when they play really well, they're a very good side and they can attack really well. They, you know, Tete, I think, is good. I think Barnes and Christensen down the left work well together. Madison is enjoying his sort of more central, free-ish free, well, role and being captain. But again, this is another test for me. This is another test for Arsenal. You know, this is it. You know, and isn't the Premier League just up to now, we don't know what's going to happen, probably the most incredible Premier League so far. When you know City, beat we say that every year. I think we. I think sometimes I feel like we say that. You know, I just think that we say that every single well, year. Well, I genuinely feel it. 
that's, but that, be, that's because the Premier League is so captivating. Yes. And that's why there's so much discussion at this moment in time about this independent regulator, yeah. of which nobody seems to be a fan, apart from... Rick Perry. <laughs> Rick Perry, he's your mate. <laughs> you, you saw him, didn't you, the other day at the train station? I saw him via Zoom. Oh, right. I thought you said to me you met him in Leon and had a coffee. No, no, I said I interviewed him in Leon. It was via Zoom. What, so you did a Zoom interview in a cafe? I did. That's professional. <laughs> Where else was I supposed to do it? Well, you could have come here and done it. I, did, I wouldn't have had time. He had a tight, he had a tight schedule. Okay, but listen, we I was listening last night to Martin Samuel and to Darren Lewis. They were all saying, you know, they, the, the line they trotted out, which was quite interesting, is, is is the government have an independent regulator for the railways. They're rubbish. Crikey. They've got an independent regulator for the energy market. That's rubbish. They've got an independent uh, regulator uh, for, uh, you know, uh, Ofcom and broadcasting telecommunications. And all that is going off in different directions now. Yeah, would you really trust the government to, to, to put the oversight in to look after football? I think it's probably better on its own, isn't it? Well, I mean, like, that's why we want to protect the, the, the Premier League and the competitive nature of the Premier League, because it is the World League. It's the NFL of, of, of football, and it's become that. Is that the right thing? Maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe the beauty of football is that the German League sometimes is better than the English League or the Spanish League becomes the best league or the Italian League becomes the best league, and then the English League comes back. I don't know. Maybe it should be cyclical. But the Premier League has dominated all, and the Premier League in particular want to pr- uh, protect that. And every club isn't. Macclesfield or Berry, they aren't not many clubs go to the wall in fact hardly any club ever goes to the wall sometimes there's a rogue owner every now and again but it doesn't happen that often maybe too often but not that often do you know what this, this is a podcast on itself because there's not it is. time to you know you, you've got the Premier League and we should be proud that our league is it's a very cosmopolitan one it is the NFL it is the number one and we'd like to keep it that but we cannot forget there are 72 other professional clubs no um, I totally my, agree with my, you. My, 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 I'd rather they worked it out themselves rather than absolutely. the other so, lot get involved in it. Sam, it is down to the Premier League to sort this out. If they get yeah. it sorted out and get it agreed with the EFL, I don't trust the government. Fine. I don't trust any government. You know, it, it'll all be sort of virtue signaling to do what's right for the, for the smaller person or whatever, or the smaller club. I don't mm. trust them at all. But I do think it needs to be sorted and tweaked in a different way. Now, for me, again... Even if you say they get what they want, about 25% of the, the Premier League uh, money, what do the clubs do with it? It's not actually what you earn. It's about what the clubs do with it because clubs yeah. should st- always live by their means. And if you don't get much coming in, then you don't offer players that much money. You haven't got it. It is what it is. If you fall a division, so be it. Because it's better to be alive and be, be a club than actually have no club. So yeah, I totally agree with it's, you. It's, it's not just about more money to the EFL, how do we guarantee that the EFL clubs are going to spend it wisely? Yeah, and that's about being good governance, isn't it? And, then, you know, the EFL should be responsible for that and the Premier League should be responsible for that. Together, they should come up Got with a framework to. where they're, that they're in charge of everything rather than, I mean, I say it's an, an independent regulator, not a government regulator, don't they? But, you know, the idea that government is imposing it means that it's a government regulator. Um, Leicester Arsenal, 3pm on Saturday. Um, it's a game in hand, by the way, for uh, Arsenal next Wednesday night. They take on Everton, which is another pivotal uh, game as well. Bournemouth against Manchester City. Bournemouth did well in their game last weekend against Wolverhampton Wanderers. And they did well the previous week against Newcastle United. And there's just signs of the green shoots of recovery uh, from Gary O'Neill's team. Have you been speaking to them this week? 
Uh, not so much. Uh, I spoke to to one of the guys there after the Wolves game. Um, they were obviously encouraged by that performance. Listen, Manchester City nine times out of ten will have too much for Bournemouth, but this is not a Manchester City side firing on all cylinders. We saw that at Forest last week. We saw it again uh, against Leipzig in midweek. We don't know if Kevin De Bruyne uh, will be fit enough, and I think that's uh, a massive loss. And even if he, if he is, he's not always selected. Well, yeah, and Phil Foden. You know, again, we could fill a podcast on what's gone wrong in his career. So, listen, I think Manchester City will win, but it wouldn't surprise me if Bournemouth could nick a point. They've only considered 11 goals in their 12 away league matches this term, Manchester City. Um, I made the prediction to Crook in a private text message, which he decided to share yesterday badly on the Jim White show without any context whatsoever. Uh, but what I said to him was, is that no Premier League team now should lose a European two-legged tie against another club unless it's Real Madrid or Barcelona, right? So, well, well, not all Premier League teams lose to Barcelona over two legs. No, but they shouldn't be losing to any club in Europe at all over two legs, apart from maybe Real Madrid and Barcelona. And the reason I said that is because the English club's got far too much money. The game is played at such a furious place in this country that physically that the players that operate in it are of a greater strength and awareness. The only way you get around them is by being tactically superior. And even now, the coaches in our game, at the top of our game, are some of the very best. You're talking about Ten Hag, Klopp and Guardiola. You know, they are some of the very, very best in Europe. So there's no way on this earth mm. that any Premier League team should lose to a European team in a two-legged tie, apart from those clubs that I mentioned, Real Madrid and Barcelona. However, there hasn't been a single win for any of the Premier League sides in the Champions League first legs up until this point. <laughs> so let's hope that that reverses itself over the next couple of weeks. And Manchester City was certainly a victim of that. Uh, well, why is it that Manchester City and Pep Guardiola in particular do these strange things in, in, in big matches? Like, like what? Like like playing Bernardo Silva at left back, for example, not very not playing Kevin De Bruyne or not playing a defensive midfield player in the Champions League final. Or why 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 try to spice it up? Why not just keep to the tried and the tested? So, so are we saying left back is an important position now. We we all agreed on that. I've always thought it is, Scott, as you well know, because okay. it was my position. But That's I'm the... saying that I've been telling you over the last couple of weeks that Pep thinks that your posi- old position was <laughs> was a part time position. You wait till I get hold of that Pep. Um, yeah. No, look, he's innovative. You know, he's wanting to do... He's looking at... We don't see the players, and I've said this on the podcast over a few weeks, to go back-to-back-to-back Premier League trophies is so difficult. And I think, you know, you can look at Foden, you can even look at De Bruyne, you know, in a World Cup year as well. To keep those levels up, they're not robots. They're not robots. In theory, they should be going at it again. You've got the title, you're getting paid enough money. It doesn't work like that. To keep that intensity is very, very difficult. So okay. I'm with Pep. They're, they're, yeah, they're, not, um, they're not robots, although managers, I think, are starting to turn into robots because they're all starting to dress exactly the same. Like me? Well, I think you are dressing like them. <laughs> um, I was ahead of the trend. Oh, I did it first, and then it went out of fashion, and then you took it up. And brought it back into fashion. What does that tell you? You didn't bring it back into fashion. You got you got a load of middle-aged men doing it. <laughs> um, um, Pep Guardiola, roll neck. Eric Ten Hag, roll neck. Eric Ten Hag's son, roll neck. Um, the uh, guy at Southampton, Sellers, roll neck. Arteta regularly, roll neck. Graham Potter's even had a bit of a glow up, and it's the way forward. He fancies it as well. Uh, it's like it, it's become standard issue dress uh, for for football managers. 
Uh, only, I mean, I haven't said Brendan Rogers hasn't tried it yet. I'd like to see Brendan Rogers. He's a suit guy, isn't he? Yeah, Brendan. Okay, um, I'll be. I'm going to go to the cup final in a roll neck on Sunday. Well, maybe I'll do dancing on ice in a roll neck as well. well. You, you only wear a roll neck, so that, <laughs> that that's just standard. Uh, Scott, we'll see you at the cup final. Looking forward to that. You'll see Crookie before that when we bring you live commentary of Crystal Palace against uh, Liverpool. Fulham against Wolves is live in the uh, Premier League on Friday night on TalkSport. Saturday game day uh, with Adrian Durham starts at 1 o'clock because it's no 12.30 this week because uh, of that Liverpool game moving to later on in the night. And then on Sunday, we've got Manchester United versus Newcastle in the Carabao Cup final. 4.30 start. And there is a big opportunity you to join the conversation from three o'clock in the afternoon we'll bring you all the build-up to what is going to be a fascinating carabao cup final very much looking forward to being there uh, for that lead southampton's a big game on Talksport 2 on saturday as well uh thank you very much for your company scott appreciate that pleasure guys see you both over the weekend different days of course uh, has the paracetamol kicked in now a little bit good still, that's, still that's, a little bit hazy know. let's hope you're ready for the weekend when you've got two com- big commentaries to do uh scott speak to you later and remember we'll be back on monday afternoon to give you a full review of all the weekend's footballing action from talk sports the game day podcast The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 